0: Above 180 is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. Stitcher Smart Radio for your phone. Find it in your App Store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to
1: listen to radio.
0: BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Surar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Surar.
2: Joining us today is Mark Miller. Mark is a freelance writer for uh, uh, numerous publications. He, he writes on bowling, and he does a lot of things I- involved in our bowling sport here. He's also author of the book, America's Greatest Indoor Pastime, Bowling. Mark, want to thank you for joining us today.
1: Appreciate you guys having me. We'll, we'll start things off with a kind of an open-ended question here. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, you've been involved with bowling and marketing and, and the perception of bowling for, what, 40 years
3: now? Well, not quite, not quite that long, but pretty, pretty
1: close. Pretty close. Okay. So we all know the uh, intentions of our, you know, bowling leaders to change the perception of bowling in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and, again, I've been involved in it with my pro shop since 1973, so going on 40 years. Do you think that that's a lost cause, or is it possible that the perception of bowling can be changed?
3: Well, I think that that's a great question, John. I think the biggest thing that it can be changed, way it can be changed, is to get the, particularly the, the the public and the media, to understand that bowling is indeed two different. Uh, uh, there's two different parts of bowling. There is indeed the the recreational part, the fun part, where you know people go and they have a beer and they and they enjoy, you know. Uh, uh, talking to their friends and, and uh, you know whether it's uh, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, that kind of thing, and that's great. But then there is like all other sports, there is this sports side of it. There's the you know at a high level uh, all the way up from uh, high school bowling to college bowling to Team USA to the professionals. And I think what we find is that. There are a lot of people who can't separate that. There are too many people who believe only think of bowling as you know the social part of it. It's a uh, you know it's just, it, which is great, but they, there's too many people who can't separate it. And I think what we've got to do as an industry is if we can get more people to realize. Because think about the other sports that you may have played. You know, there, most people have no there are no uh, problem separating, say, softball. Most people know there's a difference between the the guys who play softball with a keg of beer at second base. And anybody who plays it at some kind of competitive level, golf is the same way, tennis is the same way. Uh, you know, basically, I mean, uh, you look at volleyball or or you look at swimming. I mean, you know, there, there's uh, people can tell the difference between in swimming. Geez, if you're just out there in the pool just goofing around with your beach volleyball, and some kind of high level. So we've got to get it to where the the public in general, media and the and, the, and sponsors and the people who kind of pull the purse strings can get the difference. Between the two, and then I think once we do that, I think then we get a little more respect to, uh, to you know, kind of move us forward to where we want to go.
2: Well, Mark, and to add to your point, I know uh, one of the uh, talking to Dell Warren about some of his collegiate players and what he does with his uh, guys and gals of, of those teams is they have to spend two hours in, in the gym too. They have to spend mm-hmm. their gym yep. time, or they don't even get to bowl. They don't even get to lace them up and, and 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 practice and bowl with the team. So there's a lot that goes into it. That, like you said, the perception is there. People don't understand that, and you don't. It's it's our job, I think, to get that out to the folks.
3: That's that's correct. Yeah, you know, you look at down here in Texas where we've got the training center. Uh, you know, any, anybody who's been down here has seen some of that. I mean, there's, you know, uh, uh, USBC has a, uh, uh, a sports uh, nutritionist, Nick Bohannon. They have uh, people on there. They have uh, uh, a weight room. They have the training down there. And I think some of the other centers like Kegel does and, and uh, Turbo's place up in Michigan and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's those things exist. It's just how do we... What can we do collectively as an industry to, uh, to get the, the, the people who need to know that stuff, that that does exist and indeed indeed as we know it, but they don't?
1: So, Mark, what about the, the group of players that's kind of in that gray area, which I think Tim and I would belong to, in that we're not near good enough to compete you know, with PBA players, but we're definitely more involved with our sport than, than say, a purely recreational bowler?
3: Yeah, and that's that's kind of the unique part about bowling. That's kind of a challenge, uh, Joe. Is that you know we're probably the only sport that has this uh, this, this so called money thing out there, where you know most sports you're either an amateur or you're a professional. There's no gray area in between, and, uh, and and of course in our sport they define professional as someone who has designated themselves as a say a PBA member or a former PWABA member when they, when the women are around. But here in our case we have that. That money thing, and that's kind of a, you know, that's a whole other topic that I've talked to a number of people on, this whole money thing is that, just to give you an example, if you're a golfer, and, and if you are not on the PGA Tour, you don't own a PGA card, so to speak, you know, the only thing you can win as a bowler is basically a trophy, and as someone once told me, maybe a gift certificate to buy expensive stuff at the uh, gift shop. You don't, if you, bowl, if you play in a golf league, you can't win money. Even though you put up money, you can't win it. You know, we've, got, we've always had that, and this is part of the stuff that's in the book, is that, you know, we've always had that gambling mentality in our sport. And, and, and in some respects, and I agree with some people who have said that, it's kind of great us a little bit. It's sort of ruined us a little bit in some ways. So I don't know. That's where I guess that's the, you know, so that's why I say in other sports, you guys would be true amateurs, but you wouldn't win a penny. And even though because you choose not to be on the PBA Tour. So do we want to go to the way more other sports are? Does that get us the recognition? So, you know, it's an open-ended question, but might it? I don't know. That's a good, you know, that's something we have to do. So uh, it's an interesting dilemma, the guys like you who are the, you know, kind of that next level, not quite pro, but pretty close. But, you know, but yet you're also making money doing what you do. And, then, and again, that's separate from your, say, your business is a pro shop. That's a whole separate thing. This goes to your on-lane stuff, and, and how do we do that? So I don't know. There's, there's a school of thought that says that changing that equation might also change our perception in the world.
2: Well, Mark, you referenced your book, America's Greatest uh, Indoor Pastime, Bowling. Talk about the, the thought behind the book and, and uh, pe- where people can find it, and, and really, why, uh, why come out with a book on bowling?
3: Yeah, well, what, uh, what, where it started is, uh, uh, the, the, the publisher is out of England, their name is Shire Books, and they had, uh, they had done a lot of historical, nostalgic kind of books in England, and they decided they wanted to get into the U.S., so what they did is they uh, they hired uh, an editor here in the U.S. out of the Chicago area, told her, they said, find us some titles that uh, in the U.S. <clears throat> would be similar to what we have here, you know, these historical nostalgia stuff, and, and I don't know if it's because she's from Chicago or what, but she thought of bowling. She contacted the bowling museum, and the bowling museum contacted me to, to do it, and I'd always wanted to do kind of a historical <laughs> book, having worked at uh, ABC and USBC and that and for all, as long as I did. And. Uh, what I, what I wanted to do is pattern it after, uh, again, being a baseball fan. A number of years ago, baseball came through. Uh, Joe, you may remember this when they were in Milwaukee for the All-Star Game 10 years ago. Uh, they had an exhibit called Bully, or Baseball as America. And what they did is they, they tried to uh, tell the story of how baseball and America have a lot of relationship. And I had always wanted to do that, too. I saw another museum in Milwaukee that, that patterned itself after that. And, and it's this relationship between the topic, and what happened in America while the topic, you know, was happening, and so that's where I kind of went with this: is that uh, in addition to all the normal historical stuff, you know, that uh, you know, geez, it's it's uh, back, you know, uh, back in Egypt and in Europe, and then it came to the U.S. But then, how did it happen to the U.S. And like in this case, uh, bowling really started to grow and thrive when the immigrants came over from Europe, uh, mostly in the 1800s, early 1900s, and then there's all these other things that happened in the United States that uh, 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 kind of bowling followed in terms of uh, just you look at the discrimination against women and minorities. Uh, you look at the, uh, the Prohibition era, and then after Prohibition, when that's when the beer teams came in because now all of a sudden the, uh, the uh, uh, beer manufacturers wanted to get their name out there, and they used it through bowling technology changes, uh, and then, of course, all the stuff that's happened in the last 30 years with the uh, uh, changes in American society. So that's how I kind of wanted to pattern it after, and, and uh, hopefully those who see it, Uh, will get it. So it's not just a straight history book about bowling. It also teaches some history of America in relationship to that.
1: So, Mark, I have a question for you regarding uh, the USBC. Uh, Being a past employee of ABC and USBC, uh, right now you still do work with them, uh, from what I'm hearing. Uh, So your relationship with them is as good as ever?
3: Yeah, as a matter of fact, my wife still works there, actually. And uh, so, yeah, we, uh, you know, uh, the relationship was great, not only in the fact that they and the museum gave me uh, pretty full access to the uh, archives, the photos, and the book. Um, the vast majority of them are from uh, the facility here in Arlington, from USBC and the museum. And uh, I, still do some, uh, I still do some work with the Bowling Museum. I'm a, uh, kind of a historical uh, PR consultant to them. And uh, and do some things. So yeah, everything's been uh, great. Uh, you know, it was a obviously it was a business decision on their part that, you know, as you as you get into the uh, world of unemployment and that kind of thing, you learn that it it happens to businesses all over the place. So uh, so yeah, we've kept a great relationship, and uh, and uh, the guys there are great. Uh, always wish them well.
2: Well, Mark, uh, next thing I want to f- uh, bring up with you is what do you think has to be done in our sport of, of bowling to. Uh, you know to move forward and to expand as, as we hit 2013 2014 and so on you know it seems like uh one of the things that people are trying to figure out is how can a bowling center get people back in for leagues i mean leagues are on the decline constantly what do you think uh, in all your years of bowling and covering it can really be done to keep people in the bowling centers
3: well, you know, it's interesting, I, uh, uh, Tim, I, uh, uh, I'm doing a story for Bowling Industry magazine with uh, Don Hildebrand, who's he and his wife and family used to own Echo Bow in Milwaukee for many years, where I grew up. And, you know, he had an interesting uh, point that uh, is mirrored in what I talk about in the book, is that, you know, because we've had all these changes in our society the last 30 years, and particularly a couple, of, two or three big ones, uh, you know, women going back to work, if you look 30 years ago, most women didn't work outside the home. So there was a ton of daytime leagues and, and, uh, and daycares to go with them. Uh, number two, you have the, uh, you know, the drinking laws have changed so that people are not going to go out particularly late at night and, and uh, go out and bowl and drink, which has uh, been a big thing in hurting our late shift leagues. And then the biggest one is the commitment or lack thereof. Like he said, you've got people who won't even commit to this week like today is Saturday he says you won't even have a person even commit to what they're going to do this afternoon because something better might come along so what he said that he learned as a bull, as a bowling proprietor later in life is that you better listen to your customers and what they want to do and what they're going to take or you're going to lose them and so the twofold part of that is we as an industry if you look at the numbers the number of people who go bowling is actually at or near record highs there's more than 71 million people who go bowling at least once a year actually who go bowling uh... at least once a year and and those are pretty close if not at the all-time highs what's as you said changed is that you know we've lost this tremendous amount of people who've gone in the leagues from a peak of nine million thirty something years ago to now under two million for the first time since the fifties so what do we do on that so what you do is like he said you know, you've got the short season leagues, and i'll tell you the, i think one of the best things that's come along right now in the last couple of years, is some of the stuff that the youth, uh, youth department at the Bowling Campus is doing to kind of mirror the success of other sports in terms of uh, length of the competition and in terms of making it uh, in terms of age and not in terms of average. Uh, it's uh, uh, the uh, and if you look at it, it's kind of mirroring what uh, Little League has done, what soccer has done, what uh, ba- uh, Little League baseball has done, and some of the other sports. In terms of uh, length of league, if you—if I don't know if you, if you kids or grandkids—but if you think of what they play and what you may have coached, most of those leagues never last more than maybe eight or ten, twelve weeks, uh, uh, and and you know so bowling, you know why have we always been this? You got a thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-six weeks, and that's not. What Americans do today. I have a I have a 25 year old nephew and a 37 year old nephew who love to go bowling a couple times a year. But when they hear the word league, they freeze and they go, and that means commitment. So we've got to try and under, understanding that people are not going to commit. We have to change our whole model. We have to give them shorter stuff. Yeah, it means more work for everybody. But it's it's either that or you're gonna you're never going to get them back. So we have to go to this sh- uh, you know multiple short season type of thing. Number one. Uh, And there's a number of other models that we have to change, too. You know, USB-C is probably going to have to change some of its membership models. And it's just a whole different thing than, say, when we all started, because it's not going back to the way it was. So we've got to find out basically what the people want and and develop programs and things to give it to them, or we we will go under.
1: You know, Mark, speaking of commitment, uh, most men are sometimes a little gun-shy about commitment especially when it comes yeah. to you know possibly getting engaged or getting married. But yep. you know re- regarding the, the long leagues, I mean, our league this year has changed, our Flat Earth League, in that we bowl two weeks, we're off the third. It's a travel league. Then we bowl two more weeks, then we're off the third. So the long and short of it is we bowl 19 weeks for the entire season, sure, but sure. at least the bowlers know every third week is an off week.
3: Yeah,
1: And that's every a great second idea. Yeah, week. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, and, and every second week of our league is a little mini-tournament where, where the first week is just a kind of a practice, learn the pattern, learn, learn the house, and then the second week's a little mini-tournament where you can win, you know, $80, $90 for first place, 60 for second, 50 So instead of having a big year-end prize fund, it's every third week you're going to have a chance to win some of that money back. Yep, yep. So it's a brand-new concept. We're, we're just trying it out, and I'll tell you, the bowlers involved, Absolutely love it. And one of them, I think you probably know real well because you know her husband, Bill Vint, uh, Lisa Vint is in our league. Oh,
3: excellent. excellent. So you're, uh, you're Eddie right. Ba- I think uh, Eddie still in
1: can't be afraid to try new things.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I did not know if Eddie Bauer's still in that league. He used to be, I know, at one time.
1: Uh, Eddie was years ago, but living down in Elkhorn, uh, it's, it's probably just a little too far of a drive. But uh, And plus he leaves Wisconsin during the winters and right, ends up down up in Arizona. Up.
3: But, no, I think that's a great idea. You ought to, definitely, I would, if you haven't yet, you may want to shoot that idea up to USBC and, uh, uh, or down to USBC and let them know about that because I think that's a great idea.
2: And I'd like to, my, one of the things that I see, and I would love to get your guys' thoughts on this, Mark, is what about the fact of the, the five-person team being kind of the, the dinosaur, but going the way of the dinosaur? Um, you know, you talk about commitment and people not wanting to commit. Um, is is getting someone in the bowling center maybe only doing a three- or four-person team where they know, okay, I'm committing this weekly, but it's only going to be an hour and a half you know, maybe two hours max where I can be in and out. Uh, cause I know for me as someone, you know, and I know it's kind of the, the whole DC area and always on the go and the model of that, but it's nice to know that, okay, I'm only going to be in the bowling center for an hour and a half if I bowl a three team league, a three person league, as opposed to, you know, man, I'm spending three hours here for this five man team.
3: Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great point, Tim. And I, uh, um, I think that's exactly where a lot of them are. Uh, a lot of places are going now. I, uh, I toured when I I was on the tour of my book up to the Midwest uh, last month, and in talking to a lot of the proprietors um, on the road, you know, between here in Wisconsin, Illinois, and all that, you don't, you see very, very few four-player teams, excuse me, five-player teams anymore, and I think it's for that exact reason you just mentioned is, you know, that time where you're looking at two and a half, sometimes three hours uh, for the five-man team, and uh, as opposed to, like you said, the hour and a half, two hours for three, four. And I think that is, uh, 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 you know, I think that's a trend that's going to continue because it's there's very few, even here in Dallas area, there's not too many five player teams. So uh, absolutely, that is one way to uh, to uh, definitely address that so-called time commitment type of uh, challenge. And uh, uh, and I think that's going to just continue. I, I, I think you're going to see fewer and fewer five player teams uh, as time goes on.
2: Well, Mark, it was great catching up with you. Uh, continued success with the book. Like I know you said, you're on a tour. And where can people go to find, uh, find yeah, more information?
3: Yeah, there's a couple places. Uh, of course, uh, online at all the various places, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and then... Uh uh... both in the uh... printed version and in the e-reader versions uh... you can get them there and then uh... uh... The, you know here at the bowling museum if you're here, here in texas and they can also order for me if anybody wants a personalized copy uh... i can mail them one for twelve dollars here if they can just email me i'll give you my email address for it uh... which is mark texas at gmail dot com uh... m-a-r-k-m-y w-o-r-d t-e-x-a-s at gmail dot com let me know there. uh... Uh, you know, I'll get with them. I'll give them my address here in Texas, and they can mail me a check. Uh, if anybody wants a, a bunch of them, uh, we can arrange that, too. In fact, I just talked to Don Hildebrand with the uh, state yesterday, and he's going to be ordering some. So uh, uh, we can get that taken care of, too, if you want one on the personalized side.
2: Okay, Mark. Well, uh, again, continued success with the book. And for Tim Burke, Joe Sarar, Mark Miller, good luck and good bowling.